morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church on this beautiful Lord's Day morning that he's given to you and to us. It's my privilege to welcome all of you to worship, whether in person here or on the live stream. My name is Jeff Birch, and I am the pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we offer a very warm welcome to you. We are thrilled you've chosen to worship with us. We hope as you came in, you were given uh, a visitor's bag, a goodie bag, that has plenty of stuff for you, introduces you a little bit to the church, and hopefully uh, allows us the opportunity to reach out and afford friendship to all of you. We'd also like for all of you, so this is on, if you're at the end of the aisle, get the friendship pad started, pass it down to your friends, let us know that you're here. Again, the purpose of that, we're not trying to be threatening in any way, we're not seeking any information, we are trying to extend friendship and relationship. If you want to pull out your bulletins, I have several different announcements of things going on in the life of the church. We're really excited this coming uh, Tuesday night is something called National Night Out. We're hosting it here in our parking lot. Everyone is invited. What this is, is it provides an opportunity for the community. It's sponsored by the Sebastian Cove HOA to interact with the various local entities, police, sheriff, fire, EMT, that protect and serve and respond in emergency situations. It'll be at 6 o'clock. I think it's scheduled to go from 6 to 8. Just gives us a great opportunity to interact with our community. And if you notice, it also says in bold, I guess this is a big deal, Kona Ice will be here. So I'm not sure if I, I've personally experienced that yet in my year here at the lake, but I'm looking forward to Kona Ice. I hear that that is something special. So do take note of that. We are still looking for volunteers for our ESL ministry. ESL stands for English as a Second Language. There is an organizational meeting over in classrooms 111 and 112 uh, this afternoon at 3 o'clock. This doesn't commit you. This is organizational and informational. But if you have questions, it's a great opportunity to come out. Russell Puppy, raise your hand. Russell's over here. He's the, he's the head honcho leading this and coordinating this. And so see him if you have any questions regarding that. The women's ministry is sponsoring a couple of exciting things. And one is they're searching for volunteers for what's called the Victory Train Service Project. This is an opportunity to come make and assemble packets to be delivered to households in Greensboro with preschool-aged children. And so the idea is to help these children get ready for school. The plan is to meet at Lakeside Church on August 23rd at 10 a.m. There's a sign-up sheet out in the narthex. We're looking for 10 to 12 volunteers. See Lynn folks, or I guess Lynn, anybody on the Women's Council, Women's Ministry team, if you have questions regarding that. I kind of have a special interest in this next one. Monday evening, August 29th, pastor and potluck. I noticed that word, potluck. Uh, I, rumor has it, I'll be sharing a few words. I'll be speaking, but that's at 6 o'clock on that Monday evening. We would love to have you come out and join us, ladies. Uh, sign up again in the narthex if you're planning to attend and what you will bring. In future weeks, I'll share all my favorites like I did at Easter. So I can, I'll be glad to help you out with the menu. And, and it, You do know I'm joking up here a lot, I hope. So 
I'm never sure if people are following. Jan, help me out. Are people following me or, or not on some of these things? But that will be an encouraging, just a great time of fellowship, an opportunity as well, ladies. Invite a neighbor. Invite a friend. All of these things become wonderful opportunities to introduce people to the ministry of the church. So we want to encourage you in that way. So those are some of the things going on in the life of the church. We want to now encourage you to prepare your hearts as we listen to the prelude. no greater privilege in the life of a follower of Jesus than be, to be called by the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, the God of all the universe to come into his very presence to worship him. We are encouraged by the God of the universe to bring our whole selves into his sanctuary, into his presence before him. Our joys and our sorrows, our good times and our bad times, the areas where we're on top of the world, the areas where we're feeling very anxious and uncertain. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We gather together this morning, Father, to do just that, to join with all nations, all tribes, language, tongues, and peoples to praise you, to extol you, to declare great is your steadfast covenantal love and faithfulness toward us. Your faithfulness endures forever. Fill our hearts with praise, with wonder. Lord, may we declare your glory of the Lord who has called us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing our opening hymn of praise, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
reminds us that we were created, we were built to worship God. That every single one of us are worshipers. We're worshiping something. There's never a time in our lives when we're not worshiping. The question is, what is it that we are worshiping? Obviously, it's the worship of God alone that's going to fulfill our longings, that's going to satisfy us, gives us a taste of heaven and a taste of glory. Everything else, as attractive as it might appear, and believe me, sin looks attractive. I remember in the first church I pastored back in Philadelphia, I had a man who said, but Jeff, sin is fun. And I went to him, I said, I can't argue with you. Yeah, but it's also self-destructive. The psalmist says, O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Now, if we believe that to be true, why are we so in denial about the messes that we really are, even as believers in Jesus? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God knows our foolishness. He knows the folly of the things we turn after, the comfort, the control, the approval, the power, all the things that we tend to strive after and put ultimate meaning in instead of and in place of Jesus Christ. Our sin and our hearts are not hidden from us. Healing and renewal comes only from coming clean before the Lord. That's the invitation to confession. I genuinely want you to look at this time each Lord's Day as an invitation to good news. This is an invitation to come clean before the Lord and to receive His grace anew. So let's take a few moments and engage with the Lord in a time of personal confession of sin. And as I lead us in, we will pray the corporate confession of sin together. Let us pray. Let us pray together. O Lord, you who are all merciful, take away my sins from me and enkindle within me the fire of your Holy Spirit. Take away this heart of stone from me and give me a heart of flesh and blood, a heart to love and adore you, a heart which may delight in you, love you, and please you. For Christ's sake, amen. Friends, receive this glorious assurance of pardon from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What a glorious promise. doesn't mean God somehow becomes forgetful. 
It means God has dealt with your folly. He has dealt with your wickedness. He has dealt with your sins at the cross of Jesus. And he will not dredge them up again. What a glorious promise. I will not remember your sins. In other words, he deals with you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing together this song of praise. Shine, Jesus, shine.
You know, we've been talking a lot in recent weeks and months about what does it look like to be missional as a church? In other words, why does the church exist? And we've been talking a lot practically about one of the most practical things, probably the most important thing we can be doing as a missional church is prayer. And this song that we just sang, it's an older song, I know, but in one sense, I hope you listen to the words of it. That we would ask Jesus to shine. We would ask his spirit to blaze. We would ask his word to go forth from here with grace and with mercy. Every single one of us, no matter what kind of physical shape you are in, no matter what is going on in your life, we can be about praying God to move like that in our community, that Jesus would shine above all things. Let's go to the Lord in our time of prayer. We will say the Lord's Prayer together in unison, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we come before you and we pray what we just sang. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Father, we cry out to you that you would fill this Lake Oconee area with your glory. Our Father who art in heaven, we ask that your name be hallowed, that as we look around us all over the place and we see the city of man, we see people trying to make a name for themselves through their comfort, through their riches, through their wealth, through their relationships, through their families, through their success. We ask instead that this land, this Lake Oconee area, would be flooded with your glory, that we would be consumed with your majesty, splendor, sovereignty, excellence, beauty, and goodness, that you would truly set our hearts on fire, that in everything we do, that we would seek for your name to be hallowed, to be set apart, your name to be famous in this area, that the name of Jesus Christ would be extolled and praised, and that as we live out the gospel, seeking to bring renewal and healing and peace to this area, the gospel would go from here to the nations of the earth. We do pray that you flood the nations with grace and mercy. We pray for the presence of the Spirit before every tongue and tribe and nation and people, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that your will would be done in every arena of our lives. We pray that we would, that our lives would truly mirror your story, that we would be loving to each other, compassionate upon others. We pray for those who are hurting, 
We pray for those, Father, who are struggling. We pray for those who are going through afflictions. We ask, Father, for your comfort and your presence and your compassion to be with them. Lord, we pray for things like the start of the school year. We pray for our students and teachers going back to school tomorrow. We ask, Father, that you would equip them to love you not only with all their heart and soul, but with all their mind as well. We ask, Father, for our students from here at Lake Oconee that you'd help them to realize that they're salt and light in their schools. That they would recognize that even at their young age, they represent you. We pray for their protection, their nurture. We pray for families and we pray for parents. And Lord, we pray again for your kingdom to come in that arena. We pray for ministries that we are a part of. Lord, I thank you that this church is committed to reaching out. I pray for ESL this year starting up again. I pray for the National Night Out. I pray for the women coming alongside the victory train. I pray, Father, for all of these different things, our involvement in the community, that we would be a church seeking the peace and the prosperity, the shalom of the community in which you have sent us. We are not here by accident. You have sovereignly placed us here. May our intention in everything we do would be to see the wholeness and the wellness of this particular area, the flourishing of this area in every dimension of life. And Lord, we pray this and we do this, recognizing that yours and yours alone is the kingdom, the power, and the glory in everything that we do. May you be honored in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amy and Lynn, I have to pause just for a second to thank you for that. I'm not sure if Presbyterians dance or not. The scriptures do talk about dancing in the Lord, so I have to admit, my mind was going in directions. I don't know that you want to see your pastor up here dancing or doing anything like that, but you do need to know that's what I was doing in my heart. My heart was ready to dance with you all, so thank you. We sure do appreciate your ministry to us as uh, leading us to the throne of grace. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We're continuing our series on why does God have the church here. We're calling it Why the Church, and it's kind of our missional church series that we're doing in these weeks and months And we're looking this morning at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Before I read the text, let's pray together. I am reminded, Father, and humbled and drawn to the fact that you create life. You turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. You transform lives by your grace, through the operation of your word. Your word is your power. Your word is your speech act, that by your word you're redeeming our lives. So Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear, to open our hearts to your word, and I pray that your word, this text, would be what speaks to us. Holy Spirit, work in our lives through your word, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to do something so out of your reach, so impossible, at least in your own eyes, so beyond your abilities, your talent, your skills, your experience, your competence level, that you looked at it and you said, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I'm enough, if I have 
what it takes. I remember being in Young Life and taking a group of students way back when to Colorado. And one of the things that we were required to do was take them rappelling. You all know what rappelling is? You stand on the side of the mountain and they say, jump off. Now, I always say it's by God's grace that I moved here to Georgia because I, even though I love the outdoors, I'm not what you would call your typical outdoorsman. My view of outdoors is a golf course or sitting outside and reading. I'm not what you'd call your typical man's man of hunting and fishing and and that kind of stuff. And so here I am, I've got 20 kids, and I'm the leader. What do they expect the leader to do? Be the first one to jump off this mountain. What was going through my mind? There is no way I can do this. I don't have what it takes. I'm not able to do this. How in the world am I going to be able to do this? And then, of course, they hooked this belt around me, secured me to this line, and gave me something from the outside that would enable me to step back, take that first step, and do something that I never thought I could do. Now, here we are in Acts chapter 2. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for their mission. Go into all the world, all the earth, and preach the gospel. Now think about who he's preparing for mission. You've got Peter, that the last time we saw him was doing what? Oh, denying that he even knew Jesus? You've got two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus just shows up. They don't even recognize him. You've got Mary Magdalene mistaking him for the gardener. You've got this group of uneducated, ignorant folks hiding, scattering, running for their lives, hold up for fear, and what do they do? They become, within a few short years, the most powerful force in the Roman Empire. Literally changed the course of history. You want to read a good history book on how Christianity changed the world? Read Tom Holland's history book, Dominion. And it talks about the revolution that Christianity truly has been. How did this happen? How did this occur? Did, did they find some inner strength? Did they somehow pull themselves up by the bootstraps and say, I can find my inner resolve and do this? No. They received something from the outside. The Holy Spirit. Something gripped them and came into their lives from the outside and gave them the ability to still be ordinary men and women, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that same Holy Spirit is available to us today. Let's take a look at this text. Acts chapter 2. What do we learn about the day of Pentecost and the ministry of the Holy Spirit from this passage? Now let me read you a quote, first of all, from John Stott, who writes this. He says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness 
without his power. As a body, without breath is a corpse, so the church, without the spirit, is dead. What do we learn about the significance of the gift of the spirit? Three things. We learn its pattern, we learn its power, and we learn its purpose. Pattern, power, and purpose. Look with me at verse 1. Let's explore the pattern of it here a little bit. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So Luke begins this narrative of the time and the place of the Spirit's coming in this kind of ordinary, very matter-of-fact sort of way. They're all together in one place. He doesn't enlarge on this. Verse 2 refers to a house. It doesn't say what house. Is it the same upper room that they were in before, or is it maybe one of the other rooms or halls of the temple? The time, though, is quite precise. They say it's the day of Pentecost. Now, we need to recognize that this feast originally had two meanings, one agricultural and one historical. It was the middle feast of the three annual Jewish feasts, and it was either called the Feast of Harvest, that was its agricultural meaning, because it celebrated the completion of the grain harvest, or it was called the Feast of Weeks, and that was its historical meaning or its historical reference because it took place seven weeks or 50 days after the Passover, which was when the grain harvesting began. Pentecost was one of the three great feasts of Israel, the others being the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now let me give us a word of caution here before I go on because we have to be very careful in this passage, like many other passages in the book of Acts, not to get distracted by the details and unusual phenomena we find here. I know what it's like when I was reading this. I saw, I start talking about tongues of fire and you all get to the edge of your seat. You're kind of like, yeah, talk to us about that. Time out. We've got to take a bird's eye view, so to speak. It's easy to lose the big picture teaching and the practical application by getting lost in the details. See, how are we to think of the day of Pentecost? Is everything here repeatable, and we should just go on imitating it, like this is normal daily life? Or is it a once-and-done, non-repeatable, historical event? Here's where the preacher frustrates you. Yes, it's both. It has both repeatable and non-repeatable aspects to the day of Pentecost. John Stott again says, he says, the reality of the day of Pentecost is multifaceted. And there are various ways we need to think of the day of Pentecost. First, the non-repeatable once. Does that mean somebody agrees with that, with, with that statement? You, ne you never know when there's a loud noise like that. First, the non-repeatable pattern. We need to recognize this is the final redemptive act historically in the saving ministry before his return. You have the incarnation. You have his perfect life. You have his death on the cross. You have his resurrection. You have his ascension into heaven. And now you have the outpouring, the giving of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we are waiting for in the historical timeline is the return of Jesus to consummate all things. See, Pentecost is unique 
in that Jesus gave his spirit to his church as the newly ascended Lord. Jesus is still ministering. That's why Luke said this is the continuing works and teachings of Jesus. He's ministering through his spirit-filled church. That's why when Peter will give his sermon explaining the phenomena of Pentecost, he says later in chapter 2, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. See, this unique, once-for-all historical event is what Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, when he said that they would be baptized with the Spirit. This baptism of the Spirit was their once-and-for-all inauguration into a new realm of spiritual experience. See, the future has invaded the present. This is the presence of the future. We live in the age, we live in this present age with the power of the age to come. Now, we need to explore a little bit more of what that means. Two ages, two historical ages overlap. This age that is ruled primarily by sin and evil and rebellion and death with the power of the age to come ruled by the Holy Spirit. It's a taste of glory now. Pentecost, in that sense, is a once-for-all crossing into this new realm and this new era in which we now live. But another way, it is repeatable. Notice the text in verse 4, we read, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul gives a command to the New Testament church at Ephesus. He tells them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we are to seek. We are to obey that command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how does Luke describe the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go back to Luke's gospel, Luke's first volume. Notice this with me. In Luke chapter 1, we read, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, this would have been John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Then, in verse 67, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He prophesied, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now notice the pattern of the Spirit's coming. And this is what's repeatable, and this is what we are to seek. When someone in the New Testament is filled with the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They boldly proclaim the wonders of God. Elizabeth felt John the Baptist leap. She's filled with the Spirit. She immediately starts praising God. Zechariah, who was mute, couldn't even talk because of his unbelief. Filled with the Spirit, what does he start doing? He starts prophesying. He starts declaring the gospel. What happens when gospel renewal comes to a people, comes to a church? They can't help but to proclaim the gospel in their community. That's what the fullness of the Spirit does. That's the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit. The evidence of the fullness of the Spirit is you can't help but talk about Jesus. The Spirit is going to cause you to be more and more in love with Jesus, and you can't help but share him. 
See, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are renewed to share the gospel. You do things like I heard two testimonies. I was so proud of this church this week. I heard two testimonies of men who normally do not do this, inviting others to church. I got a text message at 6.30 one morning this week from somebody saying, I overheard such and such inviting another couple in the weight room church. You know what I did? I almost leapt out of my chair where I was praying and having my morning quiet time and said, gospel renewal, here it comes. People at Lake Oconee Press are starting to invite people to church. They're sharing the gospel. That's what gospel renewal does. It leads to declaring the redemptive acts of God in history. The Spirit, remember what Jesus, Jesus himself taught the disciples, preparing them for mission. What did he say in John chapter 16? He said, the Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. As the Spirit is causing your heart to fall in love with Jesus, to absolutely stand in awe that Jesus would love you, would die for you, be risen for you, that his power is at work in you. The Spirit is like J.I. Packer calls it a spotlight, shining the spotlight on Jesus. That fullness of the Spirit leads you to speak about the wonders of God. Next, look at its power. Look at its power. The power of this great event is signaled by the word suddenly in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit's coming was accompanied by three supernatural signs. A sound, a sight, and a strange speech. Luke chapter 3 says, John the Baptist answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Letting the scriptures guide us in our understanding of these signs, we see that these three signs represent the new era of the Spirit which had begun and the work of the Spirit came to do. Notice what, that John specifically mentions fire. See, look at this. More than likely, the wind symbolizes power. The Spirit would bring them power. Jesus already taught this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Wait in Jerusalem. You will receive power when the Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The fire probably symbolizes purity. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, it was with the live coal from the fire that touched the lips of Isaiah, saying, here, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And notice these patterns in Scripture because immediately what happens to Isaiah? Here's fire, here's a symbol of the Spirit touching his lips, removing his guilt, removing his sin. Here's the gospel coming to Isaiah what does that fullness lead him to do? That assurance lead him to do? He says, here am I, send me. The assurance of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, that sense of gospel assurance, Jesus hearing the words, you are my beloved, with you I am well pleased, leads him what? Outward into the wilderness 
to be confronted by the devil. The spirit brings power. The wind brings power. It's with the live coal from the fire that cleanses and purifies Isaiah. Here's a practical question we have to ask ourselves. Do you want the spirit to show up? Do you really want the spirit to show up? Is this something we want? Because we have to be careful. If the spirit shows up, it will take us out of control. You will not be in control if the spirit shows up right here. You will not be able to do church the normal, ordinary way. Yes, we will do the same things of worship and sing and pray. But if the Spirit shows up, who knows the various ways we will be surprised. I'll never forget. I think I've told you this story. Sitting in Tim, Tim Keller's class when he was teaching, and he said to us, what do you think the essence of worship is? I always loved when he led with these leading questions because here we were, these cocky 20-something-year-olds, and we go, oh, I know the answer, essence of reform doctrine, of course. We're going to really learn about predestined. Spirit shows up and we learn reform doctrine. We had all these answers. And Dr. Keller says, the essence of worship is surprise because the Spirit is sovereign, just like the Son, just like the Father, and when the Spirit shows up, you're going to be surprised with what he might do. There might be conviction of sin where you don't expect there to be conviction of sin. There may be great comfort and great assurance where you're like, where did that come from? You might have a sight of the glory of Christ wondering in your heart, how could he die for a wretched, ugly person like myself? That only comes from the Holy Spirit. Be careful, friends. You start praying like this, God might ask you to do something uncomfortable. He might take you out of your comfort zone. Do you really want the Spirit to show up? Lastly, it's purpose. Now, the issue of the language, the tongues of fire. Now, we're finally getting into it. You like this, don't you? Now we're getting into the, the real thing, right? The tongues of fire. What does that point us to? It points us to the purpose of Pentecost and the gift of the Spirit. Now, look at this here. Luke's emphasis is on the international nature of the crowd which, is, which was collected. In verse 5, he specifically mentions devout, God-fearing men who were staying in Jerusalem. They were not born there, but they came there from every, the text says, from every nation under heaven. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus looks at the church, what does he see? He sees a beautiful community like the one described in Revelation. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you recognize that our future is a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multiracial, multicultural church? Unity in diversity that begins now. Pentecost signals this. Luke catalogs 15 nations listed in five basic groupings. These nations, as Luke lists them, 
move geographically from east to west. What he's recording for us is the work of God in spreading the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The gospel moving throughout the Mediterranean world. And what is the significance, the relevance, the importance of this multilingual proclamation of the gospel on the day of Pentecost? See, we need to get firmly in our minds what this phenomenon was. Because discussions of the nature of speaking in tongues must not distract us from the main point of the miracle. Look with me at verse 11. It says, we hear them telling in our own languages, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. The speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost was a supernatural ability to speak in recognizable languages. This phenomenon was recognizable, intelligible languages. See, this is what we learn. This is the main point of this miracle, that the Lord on Pentecost shows the world that the gospel is for every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation. Pentecost means that the unity of the Spirit transcends all racial, national, linguistic barriers. What is happening here, almost all commentators agree with this, this is a reversal of the curse of Babel. That what's going on here, Acts 2 provides almost a table of nations, much like was recorded for us in Genesis chapter 10. But in Acts 2, you have a miracle of blessing bringing people together through understanding despite linguistic barriers. Genesis 10, you have the table of nations. Then remember what happened in Genesis chapter 11? Genesis 11, the people of earth, they do what? They unite. And the text tells us to make a name for themselves. In other words, seek their own kingdom. Seek their own glory. And this leads to God coming down in judgment. And it leads to the disunity of cultural, racial, lingual alienation. In Acts, what do we see? When we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it brings about a new unity. The result is racial and cultural healing. In Acts chapter 11, what happens? Languages are dispersed. There's no one who understands. And if no one understands, you can have no, commu no communication. Here in Acts chapter 2, where you have the beginning of the reversal, you have the opportunity for communication. It begins with the ability to communicate, to listen, and to understand. Now let me close with this. What impact does the outpouring, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, have on those presents? Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, and all were amazed, that's a positive word, meaning impressed, and perplexed. That's a negative word, meaning troubled. They were bewildered. They were under conviction. They asked for more information. They said, what does this mean? That's a great thing. If you get the opportunity to share anything of Christ and they're saying, I don't get it. I don't understand. Tell me more of what this means. Friends, let me give you a little evangelism training here. That's a green light. Keep pressing forward. Start to tell them what it means. And second, what else do we see? We see some mocking the whole affair. They accuse them of being drunk. Friends, this ought to give us a freedom. Not everybody is going to take to your message. It's okay. They didn't take to Jesus' message. They didn't take to Peter's message. 
we need to realize, and I hope this is comforting for you, there were people who were scornful and derisive there at the day of Pentecost. It is not about you. That ought to be a freeing thing. Share Christ recognizing that people's response is not a reflection on you. It's not about us. Everybody, breathe a sigh of relief. That ought to be good news. Go and share Jesus because you love him and he's your best friend. Not worrying about the results. Some will be brought in and some will get harder in their hearts. Some will be softer, some will be harder. That's the message we learn. Last, application. What is God calling you to do today from this text? Let me tell you the first thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, let me tell you the first application. Realize and believe that you already have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. He's been given to you. He is the seal of your salvation. You have this power at work within you, which means you need to seek the fullness of the Spirit. Remember, Ephesians 5 is a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That leads us again to have to be honest with ourselves. Do you want the Spirit? Because if the Spirit shows up, you'll be taken out of your comfort zone. See, a lot of us, if we're honest, we have to go, yeah, I kind of like the assurance of salvation part of the Spirit. But this kind of power for service, this power to move me out, this power to... Uh-oh, I may have to check some of my assumptions. I have to check maybe some of the things, my expectations. See, we need to recognize that the Spirit will always be power for service. You will hear, just like Jesus did, when the Spirit came on Jesus, what did he hear? The heavens were rent asunder, and he heard a voice from heaven saying, My beloved with whom I am well pleased. See, if you seek the fullness of the Spirit, you're going to hear that voice. That's a wonderful voice calling you beloved. Don't we all long to have someone call us beloved? The voice of Jesus that we hear through the Holy Spirit calls us beloved. But with that security, with that assurance, without grounding, it sends us outward. Jesus was sent out into the wilderness. If we want the Spirit to show up, we need to be open to that. We need to recognize that it's power for service with the security and the freedom that we have. Friends, let's pray. Father, thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for each of us here today that you would give us the courage to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Recognizing that the Spirit will send us outward. We pray, Father, for your glory in this community. We pray for our own lives to be filled with the Spirit, to be assured and empowered for your service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Spirit of the Living God. Thank you.
Friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.